Well, you can have a seat. My name is John Mark Redwine. I'm the lead pastor, and Merry Christmas, and welcome to our Christmas Eve service here at the Gathering Church. I'm so honored that you chose to make us a part of your Christmas tradition tonight. We're so happy to be here, be here with all these children in the house today, a family Christmas Eve. Well, tonight, all I want to do for a couple minutes uh, is really just share one of my favorite traditions with you guys and, and talk through it. You know, we, we love to decorate for Christmas early November, just like the rest of you, and uh, we get all our stuff out. And there's one particular decoration that I think is the most important decoration. I love the Christmas tree. I think the Christmas tree gets the majority of the press this time of year. Uh, but for me, and probably for many of you, it's just not Christmas without the nativity, the nativity set. Now, there's a lot of different kind of nativity sets. Maybe some of you guys have the minimalist nativity set, and it's just like a couple of sticks and some balls in different colors. Or maybe you've got the, uh, the little people uh, nativity set, and if you don't know what that is, you've got to ask somebody with kids. Yes, yeah, somebody with kids. You'll find a little people nativity set. You might have a big one or a little one. My family, we've got this one. It's a Fontanini Fontanini. Uh, nativity set, and it, it is fantastic because the people are all made out of plastic, so when your kids throw them across the house, they don't get broken. Um, now, I have seen one of these get broken before, but that's just because some kids are spectacularly talented at breaking the figures of Jesus. And so, uh, tonight we're going to talk through the nativity. Let's start looking at Luke chapter 2. Uh, in verse 1, in those days a decree went out from Caesar Augustus uh, that all the world should be registered. And this was the first registration where Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed, who was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her firstborn son, and wrapped him in swaddling clothes, and laid him in a manger, because there was no room for them in the end. Now, most of your nativity sets are like mine, and they begin with the manger scene. The manger scene. Maybe you got a nice stable. I like this one. It's got some grass on the roof. My wife is just learning that I took our nativity set down and, and brought it in a box to church tonight. She's just figuring that out. And so we've got, you know, we've got the donkey that they rode in here on. We've got Mary in there. I got a nice little blonde hair, blue eyed baby Jesus to lay in this manger full of straw. And then we got uh, my guy Joe over here. Here's Joseph. He's got his head cocked to the side a little bit. It's a little bit uncomfortable. Joseph didn't sleep well last night in the manger. Got a kink in the neck. Mary and Joseph are called to Bethlehem because of the Roman Empire. Uh, they wanted to do a census to kind of gauge the amount of people that they could call to war. And so they wanted everyone in the town of their lineage for a huge uh, national empire-wide census. And so Mary, in her final term of pregnancy, had to travel several days from their home in Nazareth to Bethlehem. It was about a, a week-long journey on donkey. And so they're 
traveling to Bethlehem. Bethlehem's about five miles from Jerusalem, which is the largest city in the region. And so there would have been a lot of people traveling the road they were on for this census. In other words, there has always been Christmas traffic. Mary and Joseph, they wouldn't have stood out very much. A young girl, uh, pregnant and on a donkey, and her betrothed. They still hadn't married officially because they couldn't consummate their marriage until Mary had delivered the baby. They were just regular people doing what everyone else in the region was doing, traveling to a small town for this census. But a few months before this, an angel had visited each of them. First, it visited Mary and told her that she would become pregnant with the Son of God. In Luke chapter 1, verse 30, it says, An angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, and he will be great. And he will be called the Son of the Most High. And Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary's response is confusion at first. Why me? How can this even happen? I don't think you understand how all of this works. What does any of it mean? But the angel says, nothing is impossible with God. It will happen. And so Mary responds... I am the bondservant of the Lord. Let it happen as you say. Meaning that her will, what she wants in this life, is secondary to the will of God. What an extraordinary response. An extraordinary moment. Joseph finds out uh, that Mary is pregnant and decides he's going to break off the wedding quietly because he doesn't want to hurt her reputation, but he's not going to marry a girl who is already pregnant against the customs of their time. It's just too much. It'll ruin his life, his plans, his reputation. But one night, Joseph has a dream. Mary has an actual angel show up in her house. Joseph has a dream, but considering each of their parts in the whole thing, it feels right. Now, for Mary, Gabriel uh, visit. okay, I just said that. Uh, And so, Mary is giving birth to the Son of God. And Joseph is now certain that that is really what is happening. He wakes up from the dream. He's probably trying to decide if he just had something weird to eat the night before or if it was real. Uh, Maybe it really was real. And he decides it was. And so maybe this is why God chose these two for their remarkable obedience. Or maybe he chose them out of some design more remarkable than we've ever going to find out. But Ordinary people were brought into this incredible, extraordinary story. They make their way to Bethlehem. They probably stopped in Jerusalem, worshipped at the temple, and then they went on down to Bethlehem together. But they get there, and any family that they've already got there are hosting people already. Everyone who's ever descended from David has returned to a small town called Bethlehem. That is a lot of people a thousand years after the life of David. And so all the inns in town are full. The guest rooms are full. There's nowhere for them to go. So they get these humble arrangements where Jesus is born in a place of humility, in a dirty, dusty stable, and laid in a manger. Okay, the story continues. In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone down upon them, and they were filled with great fear. I like the King James. It says they were sore afraid. That's like real country sounding to me. 
They were so afraid. And the angel said to them, Fear not, behold, I bring you great tidings, good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. I, didn't know, I know that I did not do as good of a job reading that as Eleanor and Penelope did tonight, but that's what you get. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds have told them. Mary treasured these things and pondered them in her hearts. And the shepherds returned, glorifying God and praising him for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. The angels show up and declare to the shepherds. And this is our angel. Her name is Gloria. It says it right there. On her, uh, her little sign. So she goes right there. And the shepherds come and they've got some sheeps with them. I like the shepherds. We've got a, a young shepherd and an old shepherd. Maybe their father and son. Nobody knows for sure. Here's one of their sheep. And the shepherds come. And this is quite the scene. Because shepherds are simple working men. It's really it's amazing that they made their way into this story. These are country boys. I mean, these are guys who don't go into the city very often, who really aren't welcome into the city. In this culture, shepherds are dirty, smelly. They're considered ceremonially unclean. They're thought of as thieves and robbers. They're at the bottom of that day's social ladder. I mean, there was a long time in this world where being a shepherd was a good, noble profession. In fact, if you study the Old Testament, which they would read every uh, Saturday in synagogue, they would learn about Abraham and Moses and David, who were all shepherds. And there was a time this was considered an important profession. But during the Babylonian captivity that happened about 400, 500 years before Jesus was born, uh, there were Babylonians and Assyrians infiltrating the culture of the Israelites. And for those cultures, the sheep was considered an unclean animal, unworthy of food or sacrifice. And those prejudices that went against the shepherds, they stuck long after the Babylonians and the Assyrians were long gone. Even though lambs were still used in the Jewish system of sacrifices, those who kept them were looked down upon. By the first century B.C., shepherds were at the very bottom of the religious caste as well. They were considered to be the same status as tax collectors who were thought of as traitors who worked for the Roman government instead of the Jewish people. They were untrustworthy. They were undesirable. In pharisaical law, the 633 laws Jews were attempting to adhere to when the time that Jesus was born, it flat out stated that if a shepherd fell into a pit, passersby had no duty to help them said it in the law. It said that shepherds were unclean and had to go through a 10-day-long cleansing ceremony just to be allowed to go to church, just to be allowed to go worship at the Holy Temple. And yet, after 400 years without a prophet, without a word from God, uh, after 400 years of silence from their maker, God chose shepherds 
to declare that he had come to the world. Not allowed to enter the temple, but the very first to see the Prince of Peace, Emmanuel, God with us. And they're the first people ever to share the gospel message that the king is here. He has come. He has been born in the town of David. And so finally, after the shepherds, we have these guys, the wise guys. I like these guys. Look at how ornate they are. Beautiful. They'll come over here. And these guys have names, Balchiar, Melthazar, Akmenabar, something like that. I don't know their names. Uh, Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we've come to worship him. Now Herod was the king at the time. We, we've heard Herod through this story over, over our lives and through the years, but Herod was not a real Jewish king. He was really just there because he knew the right people in the right positions of power. He was friends with the governor of the area. He had worked his way into the Roman systems enough that he was able to become king, even though he was not born Jewish. He was born another nationality and even another religion, but halfway converted to Judaism just to get this political posting. Herod is not the king of the Jews. And so when Herod hears that the real king of the Jews has been born from these wise men from the east, he is not very happy about it. So he looks at the prophecy, sees the baby will be born in Bethlehem, and he asks these magi to tell him what they find. His goal being to go and kill this child and make sure that Herod and his children remain the kings. Verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. I was hoping one of those cool stars was hanging over me. It's not. Uh, and going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. And they opened their treasures and offered him gifts, gold, frankincense, and don't wait, there's myrrh. And so, these wise men, my jokes are really going great tonight. <laughs> feel really good about it. These guys actually, in this whole scene with the baby and the manger and everything, they're over here at this point. They don't actually arrive until the baby is like two years old. And so, they've got a long ways to go. They've got a, a long journey ahead of them. When you set up your nativities at home, I hope you'll do a biblically accurate manger scene and just put the uh, wise men on the other side of the living room, give them some time to show up. Maybe if you have a small figurine of a toddler Jesus, you can bring him and, uh, and send him over here with these guys. And so finally, after Mary uh, and, and the baby uh, have gone on in years, a couple, you know, these guys show up and they bring these gifts. And these gifts that they bring, they're really, it's kind of amazing. We don't know how many wise men there were. We know that there were three gifts. And so we always have assumed three wise men, or we have in recent times. Uh, they received names sometime in the 8th century, and they started to get churches and chapels built to them. But the reality is, all we know is what they brought. And what they brought was pretty amazing, as they brought it to the young Messiah. First, they brought gold. Gold is a gift for a king. Gold is the tribute that one king would pay to another. It was the sign of submission and honor. In those days, you only saw gold in two places, the, the palace or the temple. And in Jesus' case, he belonged in both. Next, they brought frankincense, and frankincense was a gift for a priest. 
Frankincense was, it is, an expensive resin used for incense. And in those days, and even still, it's used for incense in worship. If you've ever uh, been to a Catholic church or you've seen it on TV, they swing the incense or thing. It's cool. It's like a big, I've been trying to get those in our services for a while. Mikey won't let me. And you put this, this frankincense in the censer and you swing it around and the frankincense is burned and it ascends to heaven. It's a form of worship. And so frankincense was used as a tactile way of worshiping God. And this gift for a priest, which was used in worship, was a perfect gift for the baby Savior. And then myrrh. Myrrh is an interesting inclusion in the three gifts of the wise men. Myrrh is a gift for either a coronation of a king or a burial of one. It's used in both. It represents sacrifice and suffering in both scenarios. It's used in these special ceremonies of both coronation and embalming. It was given at coronations to be used at the king's embalming. And so here, at the beginning of the story, in the beginning of Jesus' life, he is carried by ordinary parents. He's witnessed by outcasts in society, more first and before anyone else. And he's given gifts that declare that he is the king of kings, the great high priest, and the sacrificial lamb come to take away our sins. And that's the nativity, the Christmas story. I'll give you three things that I want you to remember about it tonight. Kids, get out your crayons, write this down. First, God uses ordinary people for extraordinary things. God uses ordinary people for extraordinary things. One of my favorite things that we can learn from the Christmas story as we study it is that Joseph isn't so different from me. He was descended from King David himself, but a thousand years later, that just didn't mean that much to the people around him. There were a lot of people descended from King David, and none of them were king. Joseph was a carpenter. Uh, That's the word that we translate it to, but he could have been a woodworker, or he could have just been a builder. It's the same word for construction worker. He was a blue-collar guy. He wasn't royalty. Mary was just a young girl from a humble family in a part of the Jewish territories where nobody special ever came from. All throughout Jesus' life, when they found out that he was from Nazareth, they would be shocked. And you would see this refrain throughout the Gospels, can anything good come from Nazareth? It was the, you think of the place that you grew up and that part of town where everybody just kind of, you know, squinted their eyes, locked their doors when those folks were around. That's where, they, that's where they were from. Mary's family was from there originally. You have a humble construction worker, a woman from Nazareth in Galilee, people like me, people like you, chosen to be a part of the most extraordinary story of all time, to bring the Son of God into the world, the Messiah, the King of Kings, the one who would rescue us and make us whole. I wonder what extraordinary things God has in mind for ordinary people like you and me. Ephesians 2.10 says we are God's masterpiece. 
He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so that we can do good things that he planned for us long ago. I believe you were created to do extraordinary things, amazing things, and that when God wrote you into being, that he wrote them into the fabric of who you are, that he would call you to them, that he would would give you everything that you need to do exactly what it is he's called you to. God uses ordinary people for extraordinary things. Second thing is this. God wants you to see Jesus no matter who you are. There is a place for you in this whole scene no matter who you are. You know, these figures, they're beautiful. I mean, this is like an Italian nativity made out of rubber. Fontanini. But these guys... These guys were dirty. I mean, they were in their Carhartt. They were, they were wearing jeans with mud all over them. They did not have time to put on their church clothes before they came down to the manger. They were surrounded by livestock. They slept with the livestock. There was nothing beautiful here. And yet, they were the very first people that God called to witness the birth of his son. And I think that's incredibly intentional. Every single part of the story is incredibly intentional because our God wants you to know him no matter who you are. I think one of our favorite things to do as people is to write ourselves out of a story, is to disqualify ourselves, to say, well, it's not for me. They don't know about where I've been or what I've done. They don't know the truth about me. If they did, nobody would want me or welcome me into this place. But that is not the story that is written. And it's not how God sees you. Maybe people have made you feel left out, like you didn't belong, like you weren't welcome. Maybe that's how you felt at church before or around family members, even Christian ones. But it is not how God sees you. Paul tells people to pray for their leaders in 1 Timothy. And then he says, This is good, and it is pleasing in the sight of God our Savior, who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. Again, for those of you who are trying to control your children, for who desires all people to be saved and to come to the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God, and there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all, which is the testimony given at the proper time. Whoever you are, you are included in this verse twice. You are all people, and you are the one who the ransom was paid for. God wants you to meet Jesus. He wants you to be his witness to who he is and what he's done, regardless of how you have been cast aside in your life, or regardless of who has made you feel like you weren't included, regardless of what the church has done or said. He is for you. And then the third thing is this, very simply. God has given us the perfect gift this Christmas. These wise men, they came all the way from somewhere in the east, We don't know how far. It could have been 10 miles. It was probably a lot farther than that. They came so far away from a different culture, 
The Bible is clear about that, that they were not Jewish people, that they came from a different culture, a different part of the world. And yet, even though they came from a different part of the world and a different culture, they brought the exact perfect gift for all that Jesus was going to become and all that he was going to do for humanity. And in the same way, God has given us the exact perfect gift this Christmas. If this year has found you feeling lost and alone and hurting, hurting, he's given you the gifts of hope and the gift of peace. John 14, 27, Jesus says, Peace I leave with you, and my peace I give you. I do not give to you the way the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled. Do not be afraid. If you are satisfied in this life and things are going well, he brings you blessing that you can return in praise. James 1, 17, it says, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change along with a reminder to return that blessing to others. Luke 6, 38, Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down and shaken together, running over, will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. Finally, and mostly this Christmas, if you're here and you don't yet know him, he's given you and all of us the only gift we truly needed, relationship with him. John 3, 16 and 17 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. I'm so honored that you've come to us for Christmas. And I know that for many of us it's tradition. Christmas Eve will show up and go through the motions so that we can get home. Our family, we go home and we have some Chick-fil-A chicken nuggets a little charcuterie board, some Lunchables on a nice wood platter. Drink a little apple cider, maybe open a present or two from the extended family. Maybe that's what your family does or something different, but we know that a lot of us come in here for tradition, but I believe that many of you came in here for a meeting tonight. Just as those shepherds had no idea what they were in for when they laid down and old Gloria showed up to change their lives forever. I believe that some of us are in here tonight to have this kind of encounter and have our lives changed. And so if that's you, if you're in here and you'd like to enter into a relationship with Jesus, it really just starts with a conversation. It's not as complicated as you've made it. The first step is knowing God. Becoming like him is what happens next. And so if you'd like to enter into that relationship, every head bowed, every eye closed, would you just say this prayer with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for everything that you've done for me, for this story, and for having me in mind when you were writing it. I ask that you would forgive me of my sin and all that I am from this moment forward, I am yours. I believe in you. In Jesus' name, amen.